Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In about a month or so, I will be back at uh, Angola Prison to teach a Bible survey class called See Through the Scriptures. When we're there, we typically teach one or two days in the main prison, then we teach at the work camps another day. We end up teaching somewhere between 100 and 150 men on a survey of the Bible from front to finish in one day, believe it or not. But before we do this, I always share how to get a grip on your Bible. And uh, what I have them do is I have them trace their handprint on the inside, just kind of like kindergarten, uh, on the inside of their book. And when they've got their handprint traced, I have them write these words on it. And this is how you get a really good grip on your, on your Bible. The very first thing you do is hear. You know, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's one way you do it. And you hear God's word. You already heard God's word read to you this morning. You heard it not only in Psalm 25, but you also heard it as part of the opening liturgy, the invocation and the confession and even in the absolution. The next thing you want to do is read the word. I mean, actually get into it and read it. I've been working on a read-through-the-Bible program for any number of years. Uh, right now, I'm on one that I'll read through the Bible again in a two-year period of time. It takes just a little bit longer because there are just some extra, uh, not as many readings each and every day. But once you read the Word, you need to study it. And I don't know if you know the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible, uh, but here it is. There's the difference. It's called a pen or a pencil. You start writing down, you start underlining things, you begin to look and say, I wonder what that word actually means. I wonder if I can find someplace else in the Bible. Uh, I wonder if I can get help with that. But then we're going to memorize the word, and then we're going to meditate on the word. And so I always ask people, you know, any, any good worriers here? If you're a good worrier, you can also meditate, because all meditation is is positive worry. It means focusing your mind. And then, of course, it comes down to apply the word. Now, I'm going to tell you that whenever I've taught this, there is one sticking point. I mean, not that any of these are particularly easy, but there's always one thing that sticks a little bit more than the other. And that is step number four. That's memorize God's word. A lot of people say, oh, I can't memorize anything. And yet, ladies, how many recipes can you make from memory? How many cell phone numbers do you actually have memorized? I mean, how many of you know the names of the four original Beatles? I mean, how many of you could recite basketball statistics or who won the batting titles or all sorts of things? Or You've got so much committed to memory, you will memorize what you want. Now, scripture memory is a good thing. I mean, Psalm 119, I'm going to back up there a little bit, uh, is a great Bible verse. It said, I have stored up your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. I mean, just think about that for a moment. You store it all in, so when the time comes, you've actually got that word there in your mind. Maybe you're thinking about some dark times, some difficult times, and suddenly the words from Psalm 23 pop in, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Or maybe you're wondering, you know, is God always there? And you remember a passage that says, Never will I leave you or forsake you. You store it in your mind for those times. Now, these scriptures uh, I have memorized, 
comfort me uh, when I'm down. They encourage me when I'm discouraged. They strengthen me when I'm weak. Now, today's text is one such, it falls in this category. And Psalm 25 is one of those psalms that are great to read in the morning. Because it has a way of kind of putting you in the right place mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, some of you may be familiar with a study tool called Haley's Bible Handbook. Uh, Henry Haley, who wrote that book, I don't know, years and years ago, said, read this psalm often. Now, of course, all scripture is good and all scripture serves its purpose. But this is really Psalm 25 is really one of the best among the 150. It's a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer of dedication. It's a prayer of focus. It helps direct your attention uh, to what really matters in the life of a believer. And it just begins very simply, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, can you imagine starting each and every day? I mean, maybe you get up every morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's great. But what if you'd also add on to that? And to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It's a great way to begin each day. It's a great way to go throughout the day, lifting up your heart and your soul to Jesus again and again. What you're doing is putting yourself in God's hands. Now, this psalm, when you think about it, reminds us of three wonderful truths about the Christian life. And the first of these is very simply that you can look forward to tomorrow. Now, we know tomorrow is not promised to us. I mean, who knows whether any of us will still be alive tomorrow. Um, But should we live tomorrow, God willing, we can look forward to it. In verse 2 of this psalm, it says, Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult or rejoice over me. And then in verse 3, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Now, let's just think about this little phrase, Let not my enemies exult or triumph over me. Now, who wrote this psalm? It was King David. And King David, of course, uh, was a warrior king. He was kind of the Rambo of his day. And the enemies that he refers to were his enemies on the battlefield. And those enemies wanted David dead. There were people who wanted David's kingdom to be under their control. Now, we don't necessarily fight those kinds of battles today ourselves, but we all have a different kind of enemy that we battle with. Uh, They have the same objective. They want to conquer us and control us. And in many cases, our enemies are not specific individuals, but rather unseen forces and situations that try to separate us from the presence of God and from God's power. You've seen this passage before in Ephesians 6:12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I mean, we are wrestling against Satan and all of his minions. Your enemy is the one who's out there to try to destroy your peace. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to destroy your marriage. He's trying to destroy your spiritual life. He's trying to do everything he can to tear you away from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have no shortage of enemies, that's for sure. But we have no shortage of power either. That's what Ephesians 6.14 tells us. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. 
Now, I want to say something about the spiritual armor. You've all read that before, that you put on the helmet and the breastplate. But it says put it on. I hope you notice it never says to take it off. Now, I don't know that some people, I think some people do that. It's like, okay, I think I'm safe right now. I'm going to take my helmet off. Uh, you know, if they give you certain armaments when you're in the military, and if you're out in battle, I don't think they necessarily say, well, if, if your head starts to get hot and a little bit sweaty, you want to take off your helmet, that would be okay. Uh, I don't know that they're going to do that. If you got body armor on and you just say, this stuff begins to itch, I'm going to take it off. No, you put it on, you leave it on. Um, God wants us to live in victory. In fact, next Sunday, I am going to preach a message that's simply called Victory. And we're going to talk about what it means as individuals and as a congregation to live in victory. But it means an awful lot. It, it basically means to defeat the enemy that seeks to defeat you. Now, how do you tap into that power? Well, it's very simple. I mean, you can start out again by saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then add, and, O Lord, to you I lift up my soul. See, as you continually lift your soul, your heart, your life, you make yourself available to that power to be at work in your life. I mean, he uses that, that phrase in there, don't let me be put to shame. And then, indeed, none who wait are going to be put to shame. Now, that makes me think of the fear of failure and the fear of the future that so often plagues people who desire to do great things for God. We get paralyzed by the question. In fact, one of my favorite contemporary songs of a few years ago by D.C. Talk, uh, he says, what if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I ruin this and make fools of us all? I mean, that, that is a song this guy was singing. Or we could say, you know, what, what, what happens if I do fail? What if I say I am a Christ follower? What if I actually join the church? I get baptized. I'm a member of this place, and I just really mess up. I mean, what if I embarrass myself? I mean, what if I embarrass the church? What if I embarrass the kingdom? I mean, what am I going to do if I do that? That's why I think all too often we have more faith in our own ability to fail than we have in God's ability to see us through. See, it's that fear of shame or embarrassment or failure that often holds us back in life. It prevents us from taking bold steps of faith. It prevents us from even taking tiny little steps of faith. Uh, it'll prevent you from launching into a new ministry, or it'll prevent you from starting a new diet, or it'll prevent you from trying to restore a struggling relationship, or prevent you from taking a bold stand against sin. Uh, when I was teaching at Lutheran High School in the Chicago area, uh, our principal, uh, Reverend William Beckman, used to always end the day with a little prayer at the end of the school day, and he would say, keep on taking the hard right against the easy wrong. And I, I used to think that was somewhat trite, but I can't begin to tell you how many times I've used that. We need to stand up and take the hard right, what we know is true from God's word, take a hard right against the stuff that is so easily done. See, if you don't do that, it prevents you from living a life fully devoted to Jesus. Because that voice never stops asking you the question, what if you fail? What if you mess up? You're going to look like an idiot. You're going to just be a fool. See, there's a key phrase here is that David says, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. You put your soul, your heart in God's hands, you will never be put to shame. O Lord, I lift unto you 
my soul. See, the psalm reminds us that we don't have to worry about what's going to happen somewhere down the road because ultimately God has promised us the victory. Now, have you ever bought a new book and before you got done, somebody told you how the book came out? Well, I hate to tell you, but I've read this. <laughs> and guess what? I, I, hate to get, I hate to tell you, but we win in the end. We do. I hate to disappoint you, but read it anyway and see if I'm not kidding you, if I'm kidding you or not. So when you lift your soul up to him, he makes his power available to you. No enemy can defeat you. Isaiah, this is God speaking through Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So you don't have to worry about tomorrow. I mean, God's already there. God's already ahead of you. He'll be with you. The second thing this psalm tells us is you can forget about yesterday. Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Any of you sin in the past? Oh, I think I gave Paul a run for his money when he said he was chief of sinners. I, mean, I had a guy tell me one time that uh, all you are is a gangster. That's all, you'll, that's all you are. That's all you'll ever be. And then he compared to me with my father who was in prison at that time. Yeah, were there some things in my youth that I did that I regret? Yeah. You'll appreciate this. I tell the guys at Angola, one of the big differences between you and me, you got caught. Now, I'm not telling you that I... I don't want you thinking that I committed some of the same crimes they did. But there were a lot of things that had I been caught, I probably would have been in deep weeds, to say the least. See, David in this psalm, in verse 7, is really only asking God to do exactly what God has, in fact, promised to do. I mean, look at these verses, Jeremiah 31. This is God said, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Some of you are pretty good at remembering sin, particularly other people's. I mean, you'll, you'll cough that sin up repeatedly. Micah 7. He will ha- again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. God tramples our sin. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. That's what God does. Buries our sins in the depths of the sea and then puts up a sign that says no fishing. Or Isaiah 38, you delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you've cast all my sins behind your back. I think that's, that's interesting. A, a key element of grace, which is what we are under. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense is that God forgives and God forgets. God doesn't bring your sin up a day later or a month later or 30 years later when God says, when David says, remember not the sins of my youth. He's not asking God for some special dispensation. He's just asking God to do what is in his nature to do. Now, do you know what? If God is willing to forgive and forget, you need to learn to do the same. I need to learn to do the same. Some of you know C.S. Lewis, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, those books, Christian writer, said, I think if God forgives us, We must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. 
See, friends, as far as God is concerned, your past is past. It's history. It's forgotten. God doesn't think of you in terms of your past. You know, someone has one time said, but, you know, Satan will do that. But then they said, if Satan ever reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. See, that's exactly what David is talking about in verse 7. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. How many of you have a Facebook page? You Facebook pages, okay? If you've got a Facebook profile, you have what is called a timeline. The idea is that you can use your Facebook page to tell your entire life story. I don't know if you ever scroll down your timeline. It'll go all the way down. The last number will be the year that you were born. And so you can go back and fill in all kinds of stuff on your timeline. Um, and, and for better or worse, Facebook remembers everything. I mean, people probably would like to go back and edit out years of their past or sometime. I mean, there'd be whole decades of my life I'd probably like to forget. But they don't want their timeline of their life to be on display for everyone to see. They want to say, let's remember not those days. Let's focus on what's happening tomorrow. I was at a conference a number of years ago where John Maxwell spoke. And he does a lot of leadership teaching. And he said that uh, every one of you pastors ought to go home and write on your desk pad, yesterday ended last night. Now, that doesn't seem particularly intelligent, but, you know, that's true. Yesterday ended last night. This psalm is a reminder of it. As far as God's concerned, the past, whatever that past is, is past. It's dead, it's buried, it's forgotten. He doesn't dwell on your sins of yesterday, and neither should you. And I might add, and neither should you dwell on the sins of other people. God's forgotten them. You move on. Build a bridge. Get over it already. Third thing is, it's a reminder that you can make the most of today. See, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. We can forget about the past. What about today? Well, friends, it is today. That's not particularly pithy, but I mean, it's today. It's not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. Uh, Today is what we got right now. And what you do today matters most of all. One of my favorite basketball coaches, I had an opportunity to, to meet him many years ago. I actually had an opportunity to have a meal with him. And one of my prized possessions on my shelf is an autographed copy of John Wooden's book, Practical Modern Basketball. Uh, but this is what John Wooden used to say. I used to tell my players, you have to give 100% every day. Whatever you don't give, you can't make up for tomorrow. If you only give 75% today, you can't give 125% tomorrow to make up for it. And that's true. That's why David prayed in this prayer, verses 4 and 5, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. That's why David starts out simply by saying, O Lord... I lift to you my soul. He's talking in the present sense. He's talking today. He's saying, Lord, right now, at this moment, I lift to you my soul. I put my life in your hand. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, here's my life. Take it. Let's get going. Show me today what you want me to do. Lead me where I must go. You are my only hope in this life. Now, I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask anyway. 
How many times have you ever said, after the holidays, I'm going to start my diet? Or, uh, after I finish this project at work, I'm going to spend more time with my family. Or, after, I get, after we get back from vacation, I'm finally going to get my finances organized. Have you ever said stuff like that? See, it always seems to work out that after the holidays, and after the project is finished, and after vacation is over, there's always one more thing to do that's in your way, one more thing to prevent you from what you know you ought to be doing today. I mean, that's why we need to get serious about today. Otherwise, we postpone for endless tomorrows. Nothing ever changes. And a great, wonderful prayer to pray would simply be, Lord, what can I do today? Which path will you have me take today? I mean, things aren't perfect. I'm not where I want to be. But how can I start taking the right steps today in order to get to the place where I know you've called me to be? Now, by my watch, we're getting somewhat close to noon. Another hour. Today is almost half over already. You spent the morning fairly well. You've been in God's house with God's people. The question is, what might God have in store for you for the rest of your day? I mean, time alone with him, some Bible reading, some study, time with family, time for rejuvenation, time for, to plan out the rest of your week, time for exercise. What? You might ask yourself, God, how can I effectively invest the remaining hours in this day? And this week, begin every day with that prayer. I mean, David wrote this psalm with the assurance of God's guidance. Again, verses 8 and 9, he said, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. Now, is there anybody here who's not a sinner? Because he's talking to you. He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Now, he's saying that you don't need to be perfect. But he didn't say, okay, all you people that are without sin, I'm going to give you guidance. No, you sinners, I can help you, he says. Because I'm going to forget your past, and I'm going to help you move forward today and tomorrow. He even leads us when we're prone to stumble. When we have the humility to seek God, God is faithful to guide us in the directions that we should go in spite of our failures, in spite of our imperfections. That's why it makes the most sense to make the most of today. He's waiting for you. And again, it just simply begins when you say these words. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Amen.